Welcome to this episode of the Level Design Podcast. In this episode, we illuminate the dark arts of the photons with the help of the Chinese Room's senior lighting artist, Ellen Shelley. Let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Level Design Podcast. I am Mark Drew, and I shall be lighting the way forward so we can delve into the dark arts of lighting in games with a wonderful Ellen Shelley, who is senior lighting artist at the Chinese Room. And this is a bit insidious because we have another member of the Chinese Room with us, which is, you might remember from some previous episodes, is Rob McLaughlin. So yes, it's a bit nepotism, but well, you know, <laughs> welcome to the show, Ellen. <laughs> Hi, glad to be here. And uh, yeah, if you leave the door open, there's some more Chinese Room people coming in. We just bundle them all in into, into various episodes. It's like when we run out of people in the game industry, we're like, yeah, whatever, we just bring people in. So we've um, got uh, like eight more Chinese Room that are like kind of coming in for the next, for the next one. <laughs> Excellent. So we're not going to run out of episodes. Yeah, yeah, definitely backups. So it's going to be good to have a backup. But more importantly, you're on the show. So thank you for, for joining us. Also joining us is the wonderful Valentina Chrysostomo and Jonathan Wilson, who is a free man, a freelancer, right? Because I wanted to say that you've actually worked in the same company as Alan, right? Yeah. I'm a spy. I'm undercover, yeah. <laughs> He's a spy. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, you know, you wouldn't notice people working. It could be people working. I mean, they're all, everyone's working remotely, so you never know. You work anywhere now, right? That's how it works. Literally work anywhere. I mean, I think anywhere is meant to be location, not so much company as in like, yeah, you can work wherever. I'm like rock star now, whatever, you know. I can work anywhere as long as it's not a gig, a cinema, a restaurant. (laughs) Right. (laughs) A a bar. Yeah. (laughs) This will soon pass and this episode will be out and there won't be the hungry dead roaming the streets, you know, looking for, you know, bloodthirsty zombies, I hope, because nothing surprises me anymore. But back to the topic at hand. One of the things that has always eluded me, and I'm so glad that you've come to join us, is to start talking about, it's it's actually a misunderstood art, I think. It's something that people really don't take into consideration that is a thing that makes everything look wonderful and does light. Because if you didn't have any light, I mean, we're talking virtual light and actual light, is you wouldn't see anything in the game. Well, unless it's a self-illuminating self-illuminating yeah no let's not get into material shades okay. just now i think uh, i think tech <laughs> okay. artists would be really happy about it like no lights yeah, yeah. no light complete yeah. darkness the frame rate is amazing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't see anything but my god no but that, this is one of the the, the, the bits of the, the kind of game pipeline that has, has always intrigued me because it literally puts the magic into the scenes you know you got like these blockouts and then you can have environment artists and I'm not going to diss environment artists, but you can have like a, just a simple block out, but then you get like an art lighting artist to light it well and boom, job done. Everyone can go home. It's perfect. You know, and this is something that has always eluded me. So I've decided to pickle your brains and do it in public and the podcast so that everybody else can, can get that. But before we start a bit of your background would be great. Just so people know like how you've gotten into like, are, are lighting artists born or are they made? That's how I got, how I got into the bright arts. <laughs> the bright arts, yeah. Well, they all started an architect, so you all need to learn how to make buildings. Um, okay. 
there's seven years yeah seven so you need to do seven years of learning about wall installation and window sizes and then you will get to be a lion artist yeah when I was younger I yeah did so I did start an architect's practice in Brighton it was great um, it was a small little architect's practice and we overlooked like the whole sea and everything wonderful but I never looked at it because the curtains were always down <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was around the time when like Oculus kind of was a thing, like, you know, the old yeah. DK2, really terrible frame rate, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I have to say now it's a lot better. So yeah, so it started with that. So they wanted me to basically turn some of their sort of CAD drawings into full UE4 levels. And at the time I was young, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then the next day, all I, they bought like an Oculus and it was arrived on my desk. And it was at the time when like nobody was really using unreal engine to use like oculus with or vr which sounds ridiculous now because it's massive in in unreal engine but at the time it was mainly the people in brighton because it was a big unity base and still is mm. they all were using unity so i went along to a vr sort of meetup being like hey i've got a <laughs> i've got a, like a, a headset like anyone here using unreal and it's like almost like a tumbleweed blew through the place <laughs> like <laughs> So yes, then I went to the, the great forum known as the Unreal Engine Answer Hub and basically ended up asking loads of questions and then answering them myself because nobody really knew what was going on at this time. So I became one of the, like, the best, I, mean, I think it was like top, the top answer people. Oh, That's oh, not, wow. <laughs> no, 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 because I was answering my own questions three days later. Like, <laughs> like, it was one of the least well-named support channels in, in, in the industry. Yeah. The un Unreal Answer Hub is just <laughs> like Unreal Question Hub, really. Yeah, it's, it's just like, a load of questions of people from five years ago having exactly the problem you are often with a reply from themselves saying never mind I fixed it yeah with no clue no to what they did. at the end so. yeah yeah unless it's you unless you go back and re-answer yeah. yourself yeah. like Maybe. me again absolutely yeah I think you've reached like a higher <laughs> level of like game developer when you go back like you, you ask something on google and it's like brings up your own question from years mm. ago wow <laughs> <laughs> and, and the problem is like you're going like i'm still asking that question and that's still hasn't changed in all these years yeah. uh so no yes after the answer hub basically <laughs> and the fact i had a uh, it was actually from develop conference i met uh, yourself mark at develop conference and uh, a few other devs they actually really helped this great what am i doing i need to make a level in unreal engine and oculus rift uh like quest that it did i did do it i did manage to make an unreal level on the go so it felt like a train moving and you know putting the tracks down at the same time <laughs> so i learned unreal i learned all about oculus i learned how finicky it was the fact that i had a deadline and i was panicking because i could not get the thing to turn on and i i'd asked like all the questions i'd sos'd everybody and it literally came down somebody being like wiggle the wire and i thought they were joking i was like what do you mean wiggle the wire they're like yeah, yeah just wiggle it it's really not made like great it's very like it's still in production so like i wiggled it and then it just turned the camera on and it was one of those things where i just sort of stared like stared out of the window for a while just questioning my life like, <laughs> <laughs> can i just ask how far was the headset flung across the room when that well the architect isn't again. there anymore now it exploded in a ball of fire <laughs> like, i can imagine like the, the frustration and to be honest with you i think i've i've got an oculus set here and it's the most moody bit of kit 
I've ever had. And I haven't even been developing for it. I've just been, I just want to play a game. And usually if I want to play a game, I have to add 45 minutes of faffing and restarting before I start actually playing. It's not like, hey, just put the headset on and play. It's like, nobody, like... No, so you have to completely like log out of life. That's what the ads don't show you. The ads just show you the people no. already wearing right. the headset and playing. They don't show you like the hour before they spend. They also show you these these houses that are like the size of football fields. Is like this has not been made for a British flat. Like it's like you need six feet. It's like I don't have six feet of just like what is this luxury? Six feet. Yeah. So yeah, managed to make a level. Finally got it all to work. That was cool. And yeah, so from that, I was there for, yeah, for a good couple of years and it allowed me to learn Unreal. And then everything I was learning from that, I was able to like put towards games. So it was the same kind of pipeline. It was the same kind of tech. And also the fact that I just, I loved fantasy. I still do love sort of fantasy work. So in my spare time and things and lunch, I was always doing like a like a fantasy portfolio almost of Unreal Engine. Uh, levels and I got a couple of them got picked up by Epic themselves and I'm someone was like join Twitter and I was like okay fine I don't know what's going on I know you can follow Stephen Fry on it and that's about all I knew about Twitter at the time yeah so I joined Twitter that was cool and then I honestly thought like within the next couple of weeks that I'd been like my art had been stolen because it I was getting loads of notifications and I couldn't quite understand what was going on and I kept seeing like this piece I was working on like kept popping up and at the time I was just not part of anything I wasn't part of like any sort of game community I didn't know anyone on Twitter and so I sort of panicked like what's going on with my art has it been stolen by a t-shirt company <laughs> this kind of thing but no it was it was epic themselves they'd like used it as a promotional thing and they actually they were really sweet actually they sent me loads of like goody and they did actually send me a t-shirt not with my own art on it and from that I let yeah I met a load of people because they invited me to some events and things and then it just sort of grew from there where I just met like more people and got some more help because at the time I still wasn't quite like I wasn't even though I was working as a VR developer and architect I wasn't like what I've felt in games like in a games company and that was my kind of goal when I was younger to be to be in a company but was it for to do to do like lighting or was it to build levels or was it It was to be um an environment artist so a lot of a lot of lighters start as environment artists Mm -hmm. because people feel that to be a lighting artist you you just need to know how to light but I'd say most of my job is fixing stuff that's broken (laughs) which Rob can confirm is what happens a lot of the time so a lot of my time is spent 10% lying and the other time is like turning off my camera or you know like on xbox where you get really angry and you'd unplug a mic because (laughs) 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 fixing stuff basically but yeah so i'm still trying to sort of get into games and there was a point where i tried for i think a lot of students can say this on peter land people trying to get into industry it takes a while some people be like it's not luck some of it is luck like some of it is the right Mm. time the right people the right kind of work as well that goes towards what sometimes they like might like your work but it's not the fact that they don't like your work it's the fact that it doesn't quite match up to the projects that they're working on a lot of the time so it's also this that plays into account so you don't take that personally right it's like we've talked to loads i mean valentina and i have gone through this whole process of trying to get artists and trying to get concept artists and it's like we love your work we think would work great 
but the project is not looking for this. No. Sorry. That's a good thing. You have to tell them that uh, most of the times you get ghosted and you don't know what what's gone wrong. Is your work not good enough or what's happening? And it's just good to tell people. I think that's missing a lot, right? It's quite funny because one of them I actually got rejected from Sumo. And I work for Sumo now. And every, a lot of students have these kind of like stories where they get rejected from the companies that they end up going to work for in the end. But it's, it's not, again, it's not because, you know, you're not great or anything. It's because you're just not, maybe you need a bit longer. Maybe, again, the project wasn't quite right. But yeah, it's, it, I find it interesting how that happens sometimes to a lot of devs. So yeah, I spent a while trying to get into the industry. And then I, I almost took a break. I almost became like a snowboard instructor, like, there was like this point, this crossroads in my life where I was either going to become a snowboard instructor or sit in front of a computer being grumpy. But I would have probably done that anyway, even on a mountain <laughs> in my spare time. I could just imagine you know, sitting there, like sliding, arms crossed, looking really grumpy, like in the snow. Oh, oh, like, Leah, like on a board. <laughs> yeah, 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 just like. With, with, mm, but yeah. with a laptop. With laptop. Just, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking you have a computer on that board too. <laughs> I mean, same thing, you know, it's identical. But, so I'd actually like filled out a form to go off to, I think it was like Whistler, Canada at the time. To, and I filled it in and I actually thought, right, I'll give it one more day. I'll give it one more day. I'll leave it and I'll send it off in the morning. And at this time, I'd, I'd had a load of just job at, like applications out there floating about. And I was with a couple of recruiters. And then literally the next morning, I got a phone call from a recruiter being like, oh, we've got, we've got you a job. And I thought, oh, is it going to be, you know, like not quite games I, I, I also was uh, young and I didn't have a lot of confidence you just think this kind of stuff and he turned around and was like no it's with Sony and I was I didn't know what to do like I, I kept just smiling I was just so excited <laughs> I just so that was great so my first kind of industry job was at Sony London I the, probably the most tired I've ever been in my whole life because I was commuting from Brighton to London on a contract Oof. on like a Sony contract mm. uh, which was fine and it definitely wasn't something I was going to be able to do like forever so I just I just sort of used it as a like you know I did the contract the game came out kind of thing and it was which a real it was blood and truth this one okay. so this was like a big it's a VR one yeah so this is their yeah. big VR title mm -hmm. and again it was what, like I was talking about before with the whole your portfolio lining up with what projects that certain companies were doing at the time my VR development from the architects linked up with the project they were doing uh, at Sony. What was your role there at Sony? I, that's, my first one was like an outsource artist slash environment artist. So it was just great actually, because I got to see, it's still weirdly not widely known that a lot of companies use outsource and it's becoming more known. And they are actually, there was actually occasions where they're not even included in the credits for certain mm, games. Yeah. So it was cool to see where the industry was going in a sense in terms of this, but then, then they were being used more widely across the industry. So I got to see the behind the scenes in terms of like, you know, outsource, like how, how all the assets come in. I got to, and I it was my job to kind of like go through all these assets, check them all. And it became, I was almost learning this other part of game dev as well. Like obviously when you, you, you become an environment artist, you need to know the technical sides of, of everything. But when you're checking other people's work, you become 
like very aware of like the poly count and what what texture size they use and like you know even weird stuff like say we had a, a sand level like this this assets come in and it's wet like it doesn't work for a sand level they like had to give this strange feedback being like sorry mate that's not the right color sand like you're gonna have to send it back like it's yeah. not <laughs> that's that's when you get really rich wrong type of sand my friend. oh no wrong I, type of sand. Oh. like the wrong type of sand i'm afraid like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but of course i got to sort of see that side and then i i was friends with the environment artists as well so they were sort of i got to make a work on a, an environment they were doing and got to also work on a couple of assets they were doing but my main thing I really loved was there was um I loved the fact that the levels would come in and then we only had only had one lighter at Sony and he would like overnight or something like we come back and it'd just be these gorgeous levels it's like the lighting artists had been here like just sort of swooped yeah. in <laughs> and just Magic like dust. it just looks I just loved it I just mm. loved how the game just looked so complete like everything came together as one and everyone would get really excited when they like the, the the very tired lighting artist would be like i've done it <laughs> <laughs> he's done his job he's done his yeah. job so i basically went over to him like that and got taught that's how it sort of started the kind of wanting to know more basically about how the process i, I did i just didn't really know other than flinging some lights in unreal i didn't understand the the process and a big pipeline how it works and the fact that like there's different ways as well in engines but the overall sort of how you do it and how you start doing it as well um so that was the kind of yeah the gateway into me wanting to do that like I loved environments but that yeah it just sparked something I just I wanted to do that so yeah after that I so the game shipped that was cool and then I decided, yeah, right, okay, it's going to be lighting that I want to do, basically. I want to specialise in lighting. And so I went to go join Supermassive Games at Guildford, where I did Man of Medan. So, again, it was very heavy lighting. I was a lighting artist role. That's a very specific lighting environment, right? Like, you're talking about, like, fantasy, that's one thing. But, like, Man of Medan, for people who don't know, it's... Uh, it's horror. It's horror. It's also... I'm not, it's not live action, but it's kind of like really realistic yep. writing. It's not stylized. In it. Well, it is very stylized because of it's cinematic lighting. Yeah. Cinematic, cinematic, thank yeah. you. It's, yeah, it's very cinematic, thank you. So, so that's, that's like, a challenge, um, right? <laughs> so I had like two two loves. So one of them weirdly was horror and the other one was, yeah, fantasy. So I like this kind of strange mix between like really bright fantasy, like fable, and then like really dark, like, well, horror. It was a really good place to get a grounding for for lighting like I've still got friends to this day from that company like lighters and they'd all come from different backgrounds like I remember like speaking to two other lighters being like oh yeah what have you worked on and they'd be like Lord of the Rings and I just like my brain would just be like what <laughs> it's crazy and one of them had done so the Dark Crystal would come out around the time oh, wow, I, was like, yeah. I was like wow this looks awesome he's like yeah I worked on that and I was like this is this is great like I love this kind of stuff and I, I learned a lot from these these guys um so even though Sony was teaching game-related lighting in terms of uh, engine things and the things you need to know to do with engine, 
they were teaching us sort of the, the principles of lighting with the, you know, you use like the three, uh, three like spotlights in terms of on characters, you use like the fill light, um, the key light, the rim light, that kind of stuff. This, this kind of thing that I didn't know about not coming from a film background and, the, and, not, and as games are progressing, they're using, they are becoming more and more realistic. So the, the need to use this kind of same structure was coming in basically. And even now they, they still like characters similar to film and a lot of our references were film based like we would look at film lighting that was cool and then we did a lot of sort of sequencer work so I was doing as well like cutscene lighting again that that differs from just normal in-game lighting because you can have a lot more lights like you can just you can go a bit nuts if you want to as long as you hit like the benchmark <laughs> of what the concept is you can go nuts uh, <laughs> Again, it's easier not to because you want you say you get feedback from a director. You don't want to be like, great, which one out of these four hundred lights I've placed in here is the one that's wrong? Like, you know, you still want to try and get there in a manageable way. And the director's feedback, I'm guessing, for lighting is not very, very specific. Oh, there's this like this three hundred ninety nine light. Please remove it. It's more like, hey, I think there's too much light in his face or something like that. I'm imagining. Yeah. Yeah. So how yep. how do you translate the uh, vague feedback into oh I know what I'm gonna do technically again through the having that kind of structure in so like having the main one be the key light having a main one be fill so that you then are able to uh, relay that feedback like oh that light on the side's too bright you're like oh it's the it's that it's the key light you know we'll just turn that down or the volumetrics are too high you know it's a big spot that goes behind the character that's got volumetric and that becomes a lot easier to to adjust mm -hmm. rather than oh hang on hang it is it is 398 i reckon this one <laughs> yeah speaking that my favorite my favorite jira of all time was uh one of the blue lights is too blue that's all it was <laughs> like in our game was, to this day i don't know which one it is <laughs> was well, the one that's too blue <laughs> the one obviously. that's too blue obviously yeah yeah what if the feedback is um has to do with more emotional impact or or the mood and it's just like, hey, we want to make this scene more scary or stuff like that. So how do you how do you adjust the lighting to to fit that kind of even more vague direction? It was a really quite a difficult balance, actually, in horror. Because some people, my friends were like, when I said I was working like a horror game, they were like, oh, it's easy, right? You don't have any lights. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's really easy. Switch up all the lights. Just take them all off and then you've done the horror game. <laughs> It was no, so it's a balance between obviously like level design again, like you need to be able to see where the player's going, and you also need to create this mood where it is still scary. You don't have to look a big thing at the end, being like, This is where you go, kind of thing. And if you especially want the player to be like lost or not feeling, you know, like they know exactly where to go at a certain point, it's a balance. Um, but we would do things where we would use volu like a volumetric, so to kind of just pick out silhouettes of, of things. We wouldn't always use like full spotlights on a wall, like picking out the whole wall. As a, as a pedant, not a pedant, as someone that completely does not understand any of these terms, what would Ignoramus. you That's the word. Thank you. I'm trying to keep it family friendly. But as an utter idiot in this uh, subject, what do you define as a volumetric light versus, let's say, like a spotlight or a, a so... film light or something like that? The best way I can This is not it. a test, by the way. This is just like me trying so, to. <laughs> Hang on, let me just Google it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so the game best... developer spirit. <laughs> there, we've done it. Done it. Um, That's how everyone does it. The best yeah. way I can kind of explain it is like, so you've got fog. Uh, it would be fog. Um, it's like a cone of fog, basically. 
that right. you obviously don't have like a really intense fog like cone mm -hmm. so that's all you see on the screen but you just you soften it out so that it it almost sort of pushes the character silhouette out from the screen or pushes a certain element in the in the world out from the background um that's kind of what a volumetric is and a spot again it is just it's a spotlight so it's a bright direct light mm -hmm. no i get i get uh, the spotlight it's a thing that we use for in our interviews with people yeah uh, in the podcast to make sure that they tell all the truth make sure that they're from chinese room <laughs> yeah 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 exactly so we've got like this three three point lighting which i guess we use everyone then you've got the fill light right that that tries to what soften the edge between these two two lights or so with the three point light you've got one that's like a very there's the spots so you've got a very bright one that will take like a main edge of the face or model mm -hmm. basically so that'll be the main bit that the that you will look at like the point of interest almost and then you've got a fill light which is just well, to fill basically the tone of 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 the object um so you don't have a harsh transition between super bright and black and then right. mm -hmm. um so it'll just fill it very subtle and then there's a sort of a technique that they use in film and, and games where you want the stuff to kind of pop out from the background so if the character is very bright you make the background darker and vice versa so if the character's darker you make the background full of more volumetric or lighter so that's the kind of last bit where you just sort of fill the background so that pops out a bit more um but then there's other there's other ways where you when i was talking about the fill light where some films don't use a fill light uh, at all there'll be it'll be very harsh key light but if you want to create like a more intense mood and you won't have a fill light at all and then you'll just push out the background so it's like mostly they're in shade and they've just got a sort of harsh line on them and then there's another technique where you can use like just um which is what we did a lot in horror where we did a lot of uh, rim lighting which it just gets the outline of, of of objects and characters and that's a technique that we would use to keep like keep it scary but also know where where you're going basically right like, because you like, then can show the outline of the monster or whatever it is yeah the outline of the monster or even the outline of a corridor or the outline of like a room or like you know, right mm -hmm. to kind of give that kind of not like i'm grabbing the player's hand being like there's your door uh, <laughs> but it's allowing you to be like oh what's over there and you can leave right. them like breadcrumbs almost um, mm -hmm. and rather than having a spotlight on the door going like look <laughs> door, door. <laughs> door. Uh, door. You, can, you can be more subtle about it right mm -hmm. This is used a lot in, in, in films, and recently I found a website that I'm slightly in love with. They're not sponsoring the podcast, but it's, it's called shotdeck.com. Yeah, I was going to say, is it Shot Deck? It's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, and, and that's got like a, ma a massive database of shots from films that you can use as reference and, and for lighting and for, for composition and, and things like that. But big shout out to that, which, which made me, you reminded me by, you know, talking about like, okay, so we need to have this. And you see this in films a hell of a lot like you start if you start thinking where the light would be but that's film that's when you when you can control the camera but i don't know if, if any of the games that you've worked on i guess mafia would be at hangar 13 would be one of them where basically the player can go anywhere right so you know you can't go like oh i'm gonna have this lovely three set you know you know three lights set up and the the, the player just moves away from it and you're like god damn it this was perfect lighting there how do you how do you manage that? How do you... There will be there's different techniques, but the, one mm. of them I know is like you'll have like a, a light rig, which is basically is that like a light will follow the character, like you'll have it off and it will light 
part of the character and on when the the character moves it will dynamically light the character as well mm. uh, but then it's it, it, that that's the kind of art of of lighting as well like you have to hide this stuff as well like it and sometimes you will see it like you know it's that's very obvious in first person games when you like especially in dark rooms when you approach the wall everything just becomes like bright around you because it's gonna has uh, this sort of like fakey light that's attached to the capsule and it walks around with it just to like <laughs> illuminate the area yeah and sometimes you can't hide that so you can try hard but uh, this stuff happens sometimes so you have to weigh up between can the player see 90 percent of the time or is it going to be that one part where like you know then there's other things you can do too where obviously the, the outside scenes are good because you can have like a big directional light which will be it's the sun so it doesn't matter if you're seeing the sun i will point to certain things and you can create bounce light off that and it's the same thing, like I was talking about, how you push the character out from uh, the background. You can do that in environments too with, with the silhouettes and the darkness and, and, and the bright parts of the game as well. Like, so you can have certain bits that aren't as important in the slight shade and then you can have the main part with a big like sunlight beam hitting it. So again, you have to use like real world, what you get in real life to your kind of advantage as well. Mm-hmm. But do you always have to be diegetically real? Like, like everything has to have like a real light bulb, or can you can you fake it a little bit? Like, you know, there, there should be a, there's a light on this door, but there isn't like a, there should be some kind of source. So there will be. It's easier to start, even if you're again, if you if you're making a fantasy game, even you're making a sci-fi game, people are used to seeing lights coming off a off, off a source to begin with. So you kind of build off the sources. So you either build off. Like so start with the big sources, like you'll start with like the directional light or you'll start with a massive spotlight if it's a horror or a sci-fi sort of alien-esque horror. And then you build off that. So that becomes an easier way to light in a sense. And you can fake, like you can, so as long as you've got your main source lights, you can then like be able to, I don't know, there's a bit behind that's not getting some light. You would use um, sort of fill bake lights, they're called, like you would put them, they're ones that don't, you can't see the source and they don't have a, a very bright spot like in the world that they, they just fill again they fill around right. mm-hmm. parts of the world and that's how we would fake it basically They've and in movies the the, 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 there are people like behind like with like bits of card yeah. like reflecting light into the right places so you can yeah. see that that horrible clock, you know, that in the yeah, background. we do that. We still do that in games with like big oh, really? massive cards. Like you can still like you can make a say you want a in I don't know in in some metal. Like say you've got like a very shiny desk or something. Say you really want like a bright specular like uh, on it to make the metal stand out more. We would do a thing. We would cover like a, a sort of almost like a card or a box or something in the game in in a very bright material. We would then hide the box from the player, but it would still show up like on mm-hmm. on the item so we still do all these weird tricks like <laughs> in games from film i, I guess it's worked for like what a, over a hundred years or so of, of film that they figured it out well you might as well steal it i mean you even do it in paintings like i was reading a really cool oh, yeah? thing on um on twitter about light and paintings and it's the exact same stuff with the like the diffuse light the bounce light the the key light they still paint it in like thousands of years have been doing this stuff you need a good lighting artist though to fake stuff even right though because i can imagine yeah. you can the room is let's say it's dark and it has this bluish light and suddenly you want to put something red and then where's that red coming from that you need either a source or you need 
somehow to blend it in, and that's why yep. the lighting that just comes in and makes it makes it look better. We can't we can just fake stuff and has and it looks like it has no source because you you need someone to know how the light works even to fake it, right? Yep, and that's where the kind of like again the art comes from, like you've got all this technical stuff as well you've got a, a player's got to be able to see it's got to look nice but then you know you get art direction being like i don't like the creepy looking clock in the background i want this to have be nicer so yeah that's where the art will come in like say you've got a light source that's over in the corner but you still want the clock to be lit up it's that balancing act like you say like you've, you've got to balance it in so the player doesn't go oh they've shoved a spotlight over there mm-hmm. that kind of stuff it's all like smoke and mirrors and this like the, the, the magic of making an environment real i discovered a thing in a blender sorry to bring blender into the situation but uh that you can actually put negative light in the light so like you know you have like the the the, the intensity of the light you know goes from zero to whatever but in blender you can actually put minus and they'll start sucking light away <laughs> from from an area so if you want to darken an area you can actually put a light there and put like minus three but suck the light out uh, yeah, well, I need to find out if like a wheel will do this. I'm going to. That's pretty cool. I think again, it, it depends on what like pipeline you're using because right. you can do all this strange stuff, and then if it, say you want to make a game where you do that kind of stuff, you then start to like make a lot of things to do with lighting comes from again, it comes from materials as well. Mm. So in fact, yeah, a heavy part of it is driven by yeah, like the albedo, the the specular, the the, the roughness, metallic kind of stuff. So you'd have to almost set up your materials t- to do stuff like that mm-hmm. so yeah so be friendly with your material artist you you mentioned pipelines you obviously you did vr to start out with and then you went and did stuff like man and Medan. did you notice anything or did you find anything was more difficult going between the two different pipelines of working from a vr game to i guess it i wouldn't class man and Medan as like a standard third person game but it's it's different right you're not actually in the world sort of thing yeah making a vr game is hard uh, it's so so performance heavy like um every polygon like polygon counts in that game basically um again certain stuff was done for, it's, is done for vr games where they will try and accommodate for the lighting and they almost have to do certain things from from scratch to to accommodate specifically for that um I haven't looked like under the hood with, with Unreal and what they do with with VR, but there are ways that you have to set up your projects for for VR. Um, like for 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 say you are you making a VR game and things like that, you have to set off right from the start, like right from the start, what you're going to be doing in order to save from that, the foundation, um, from the foundation yeah. upwards. Because I, I tried to uh, during a certain lockdown, I managed to get a uh, from the marketplace of Unreal. You should go there. There's a sale on at some point. There's always a sale on. But they had like this like beach environment and I went, oh, you know what? I could just see if I could make a very simple VR environment that I go to the beach, right? Because I can't go to the beach. Unlike the, my the b- beach is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and the beach is on fire and here comes my gun. Um, But no, it was basically like you could see it worked really well in first person. But the illusion like immediately broke down the moment you put a headset. You looked at the ground, uh, nothing was 3D. It's like the ground was super flat, which in 2D, I guess, in 
without VR helmet looked, hey, that totally sells it. Look, I can see little flowers and stuff. And then like, yeah, just in VR just completely fell flat. So there's a, yeah, a lot that's of a heavy scale, like scale as well. So there were items in, in Blood and Truth where you could literally pick them up and look them at like in, like in the face like this. Mm-hmm. But then that also required the fact that you had to have this balance between them being very high poly but also running properly. So there's a lot of baking going on because you couldn't just have a low poly model, like picking it up and looking at it like this. Uh, yeah. So it had to be high poly, had to bake it. It had all these rules. Like with most VR, like most VR games will follow this. It's not just specifically for blood and truth. Um, it's all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's a definitely different game from, you know, from, you know, third person. Yeah. I think it's like what you're saying. A lot of it can end up being smoke and mirrors because the player can, see all this in much higher detail there in it and like marks that it breaks the illusion uh one of the painful things i guess possibly for a light mouse give a guy give someone a torch in a vr game and it just undoes all all your light and work beside <laughs> it. well we had this other thing too with like and like so those that don't anti-aliasing was like jaggedness on lines in the screens and and, and we can usually get it on diagonal thin and thin geometry um and it stops that from happening. It stops it from shaking and looking gross, basically, on the screen. Yeah. When you're in VR, this can make you feel sick. Like we had this thing, oh, yeah, of, like yeah. the hurl, like how, like the hurl level, like how much am I going to throw up like, <laughs> with an ass with with an asset? So we had to like look at assets basically and just check if it made you feel sick or not. Again, all VR games will have to do this, and we couldn't just have chain link fences because they were just a big no no. They were just oh yeah, those are so bad yeah. mess so bad nauseating. it's like a qa and, and testing yeah. thing right like you have it's a qa testing phase you have to test yeah. whether you will be sick or not of the objects of everything it's just uh. like a thing <laughs> in vr they still do it even even in normal like um just like uh, sort of general games like they still check stuff for this like uh, like railings grills chain link fencing and then the way you either fix it is one take it out or make it thicker like those are the kind of stone age ways of fixing this stuff <laughs> uh, i was actually gonna ask a question about man of medan and how much does the um, lighting influence uh, uh the level design of of that game because i remember playing it and, and it's very the layout of the game is very specific because the camera moves uh, movement is also very specific and it shows you like uh either a ghost disappearing from behind a door or it shows a head uh, a door that you can go through so everything is is it's like super scripted that's what it feels like so when that game is being built and whoever works on the level design how much do they uh, kind of like rely on the lighting artist to come in and, and help them build the level were you part of that phase sometimes it was a bit difficult because we had a thing where like it was quite film based as well with this kind of like you say like something making you jump and kind of things like that. and there was also a game part so there was a thing where the designers and the lighting artists did clash at sometimes not like in a sort of like a big sort of fight going on in the car park but like there was a ba- had to be a balance between them moving cameras and then lighting having to do the final sort of pass on them and there were times with like any development where I'd come back from like a holiday or something and then like the cameras had all moved without knowing and it and it was a bit of a battle but again it was a balance between lighting having to be the final say basically like this is where they're going and to stop this now like it, even in mocap shoots they will they will go from the like the start thing and they will decide 
where the characters are going to be on screen when they do the mocap for this stuff and for the lighting and they will even light them sometimes like where the sun is going to be like hitting the character in the mocap because they know that once they go into the game the, the lighters are going to have to sort of replicate that or that or do something similar so, that, so again right from the start they'll try and do this kind of stuff not always I'm, again like stuff doesn't always go right but that's a way you kind of mitigate for this happening like you will you, you work out from the start where the character's going to be what what the kind of uh, shots are going to be like but then there were parts where it broke into like you being able to walk around the around the game like in the third person and this kind of stuff but then that we they we still did the cameras based on where the cameras were going to fling around the world um so yeah, a lot everything was kind of done like down to the letter for that for lighting. It's kind of un- ironic that we come from replicating cinema in game, and I sorry, Man of Medan using that as an example because it's it's present in my mind at the moment. But we've kind of like now gone like a bit of a one eighty, uh, and now we're we're using Unreal to light real people, right? So uh, Mandalorian, for example, had like massive LED screens, and that was done in an Unreal. So like instead of having like the actor with a with a real light to 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 make sure the sun's shown from the right direction they put the whole background around them so like all the reflections were, were real i find that really exciting like the nerd in me absolutely loves it like to be able to for those that don't haven't seen the how they made mandalorian it's the fact that they like you said on 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 shot on film set they'll have a green screen and then some guy will be running around with a big spotlight and do all this kind of stuff and to to like the the um the outfits and they'll do a lot out in post obviously as well like a lot a heavy amount will be done in post but now for like mandalorian they're using unreal to light like the sets not even the characters like they will use like ambient light from an unreal engine level to say you wanted a big desert scene they'll put in a desert scene in unreal and they will project it onto it's led isn't it it's like led like a huge led 80 uh, foot screens or something like that all around yeah huge screens and then that actual light from that desert will light the the stage will light the and it's it's really exciting. It's great. So you can and you can change it on the fly. Like you can know you can move a rock like in Unreal Engine, and and they were using like proper data to. So they had like a really. So they had Mando standing on a platform, and then they had like half of his ship in one of the shots. But it was like the actual made prop that had a very shiny material on it, and it wasn't like like post that was doing all that on it. It was the actual reflection, reflection, right? a real life yeah. reflection from from the unreal engine scene mm-hmm. um so it's brilliant yeah so it's almost like they're they're almost both like coming together now like we we nicked a load of stuff from film now then <laughs> because for that show yeah is when i first started seeing that show i was like going you made his his suit of armor super shiny is this like you don't like your life or something because of poor like effect artists afterwards i thought they were going to have to be like redoing the hdris and it's just like a nightmare but i went oh okay no you just threw money at it okay yep yep even from like an actor's point of view it must be so great to be able to see what you're actually acting to rather than it being a green puppet Mm. like this i think that just for immersion would be really cool yeah it's like imagine you're a desert and it's like, no, 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 here, look, you can see you are the desert. <laughs> and here is yeah. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think with the um, this, this sort of cross-pollination between movies and games, 
do you think it ever goes too far? Do you think that games are lit too cinematically and too using a kind of conventions or tropes or anything from movies? Do you think there's there's still room for that fantasy that you talk about? Um, there are points where, you know, games follow a kind of sort of um, like theme almost. So there was the battlefield, the blue and orange scenario and then there was the the gears of war gray everything was gray and brown scenario kind of thing and and it feels like almost like at the moment with games it's this ultra realism like stuff which i love like i love this stuff but i almost get really excited when a game now does something a little different like does like like something's again everything uses the same sort of setup to begin with with lighting just maybe something else a little bit different just maybe a different sort of post process goes over or um, some different color grading that's that's exciting i think this is why super hot got really popular it was like a very striking look it was a 3d game actually when you're in it it's kind of fairly realistic you can i don't know if it's a it's probably unity game but it it's doing a, a, a pbr workflow in there but they've just chosen the colors to be those you know, colours. Yeah, but then again, I, I I like both. Like, I really like, I really get excited where the sort of ray tracing text going, where all that kind of stuff is, and and the moodiness of film. Like now, now you. So before, in like they would only have like one lighter in games. They still do only really have one lighter, but it's moving towards now. Like I really would love it. Like team teams of lighters kind of thing. Um, and because it's getting to be like that with the way tech is going and the, with unreal and ray tracing and how much it's like needed now so it's 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 exciting where it's kind of going but again film even films do that they 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 follow a sort of set look for a certain year and then the year after will follow a certain look and i don't know i can't remember for life and what it's called but there's actually a word for it like it happens like in in creative media where even like subconsciously one project will be working on something and then another project will be working on it and they both come out and they're both very similar mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it happens a lot. The original word for that was actually, and this is ironically me saying it, it's actually meme. It was Richard Dawkins talking about the selfish meme and these ideas that these these idea, these same concepts were born into two completely different places and there's this parallel evolution in which you find the same thing being solved at the same time, you know, you know, in two completely different places. And you do see this, as you say, in media uh, a lot, you know, and it's just because same influences. And this yeah. is where you need diversity in teams, yeah. people. But, but it could also know. be this thing where, like, you think you're doing a really unique idea and then it both comes out, like, all five other studios in the UK <laughs> have the right. exact same idea. We've seen like, that a lot in games, too, maybe with... Uh not crazy mainstream games but there there have because yeah like you said we have the same influences and we can start working on similar things or themes or looks or anything something will always be similar yeah. to something else at one point and it's when they both come out at the same time that is uh, a real uh can only be confluence one. <laughs> and, yeah there can only be one <laughs> there game can only be one. that's why games become so competitive though right because for all like you say, taking the same influence from everything. That's why genres pop up and then people are like, oh, it's a clone of this, but slightly different. It's like there's a million co-op shooters there. Then it rolls back even even further, doesn't it? It's like, because they could have taken a thing from a film that took a thing from Ridley yeah. Scott that took a thing from... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in recent years, I think one of the, the games that have really springs to mind 
talking about lighting and and using that is control. There is so much like, and, and as you were saying, you know, like using the RTX technology of like having ray trace shadows and like reflections and, and all of that. I just love the idea that all of these games are dealing with like this physical thing of photons flying around and you're still doing it. And, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because I was having to read some stuff in Unreal Engine to solve some weird problem. And suddenly I, I went down this wormhole of photons and how light behaves when it's traveling to different things. It's kind of like, well, am I doing a physics lesson? I want to do a pew pew game. What's going on? You know, <laughs> again, it's like the real life film tech. It's like the real life lighting now. So we use like we're moving towards like real world values in games. So it's not just sort of arbitrary, like arbitrary um, figures anymore. Like it's actual like proper lux of a sun. It's it's the and it's now supporting yeah real world physics. So not only do we get real world films, we get real world physics as well. It's exactly where my background of whacking in a skybox and clicking bake has just like it's just gone off into the stratosphere. <laughs> like I know I didn't know what EV one hundred is now, and I I, st- I try typing in numbers that I think will make sense, and just trash comes out. Just people use the HDRI, same thing, right? You just whack in an HDRI, you're done, walk away you know, explosion in the background. Then you got to go down the rabbit hole of how was the HDR actually exposed and then having oh. to expose it properly. And then this is when I was trying actually trying to learn this stuff. I went down this huge rabbit hole of just like, you, you Google one thing and it's like, yeah, EV100, how do photons work? What's atmosphere? <laughs> What's like... <laughs> Yeah. why is the sky blue i'm not kidding that actually <laughs> down that rabbit hole and, and it's, it's good that you kind of get taught this stuff i i had a again it was like in an unreal it was like oh here's a sky sphere like here's all the settings and all of the settings are to do with like physics yeah. like climate yeah. physics and i'm like going i don't know <laughs> just play around with is. them until something looks good and then ship it and that's all we know because right. if you're not a lightning artist you're like i don't know what this means was this a yeah. sun intensity is it burning the whole place supposedly enough up like i don't know right <laughs> is it giving me sunburns well yes yeah, so the new sky atmosphere stuff like uses like you know like uses the ground dust to actually affect like you can uh how the light scatters on the horizon like all this kind of stuff and yeah so i was like what are you what are you up what are you up to and i have like, don't worry i'm just googling how how the Sahara Desert supports lighting, like in yeah. real life. And, and like you, you worked on Mafia, so that is a little bit like it kind of relates to what we're talking about. That is an open world game that has like a day and night, and and it's like it uses um well natural light, right? Whereas Man of Medan is it's in a ship, and there's this artificial lamps or whatever. How how is that? What are the main differences between a natural lit? open world versus a linear confined like horror game it comes from uh, again with like open world it it depends where it's set like is it set uh, like um horizons are adorned like is it set mainly like outside again they obviously they have cities but a lot of it you're on a big plane like running around um it's a, it comes down to tech like the tech as well like in terms of like will it all like because you can't bake huge huge can it's gonna have a sad time like big (laughs) like big huge huge levels you're gonna so you're gonna go down like a die again not you won't not always but you'd go down a dynamic pipeline where you wouldn't be baking anything and a lot of your lighting would come from a from the sun like it would come from the sun and you would fake it like this but even with big open world games you still put in like 
you can you fake the bounce like you because again that's another big problem with games and I'm not sure it will be in the future but at the moment the fact that we can't what you get from baking is you get some nice global illumination you get like the 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 skies reflecting in like all of the stuff it just looks more put together basically and that's why you bake it doesn't look so flat but when you're doing a big dynamic game that's expensive when you do that dynamically that's that's why we bake it's not as expensive to run frame rate wise but when again when you have a big open world you can't really do that so but you can you can't really get that nice global illumination so there are ways of doing it so you can do ray trace global illumination which they do use in film but it's at the moment in time it's very very expensive um so some game engines will make their own like they'll make their own like code almost like to do this kind of stuff and that's the biggest challenge at the moment with those big open world games is to try and get that kind of stuff but cheaply Mm So it's not that they can't do it. It's more making a game. So you have to kind mm-hmm. of balance it. If it's going to be like a quarter or half your budget just to like get that light yeah. in there. And then on top of that, you got AI and, and shooting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be mm-hmm. a mess. So I'd say like right now, like here and to the, like to this down to the hour, we would fake it. A lot of it's still faked. Like we would use point lights with no shadow, like casting no shadow. And obviously if you had the global illumination, if you put the sun in, it would bounce that lovely, say it's like a nice golden sun. It would bounce that golden sun out to the world around it. So not just Mm -hmm. hit the world and there'd be a sort of sharp line across the world. It would then Mm -hmm. be absorbed by the material. It would would dissipate everywhere in the world. that's expensive to do uh, dynamically so to fake that we would get point lights because car shadow is very expensive so we turn that off and we'd almost like put it along the sunlight like put it along the directional light just faking where you mm. think it would look so it's a bit of like you get a load of you'd have to get a load of refs up and see how it would work in real life kind of thing and you said dynamically that's that means someone had to code it is that something you're also responsible for so I no, so that's where I, I won't um, do that kind of stuff. I will know roughly how it works, I, but yeah. I somewhere somewhere I have to draw the line. I have to sleep at night, like yeah. <laughs> that's be a point where I stop. Um, so it, there's a lot of faking again going on uh, with those type of games. And can you influence? I guess if you this you say you want to use a technique of having like all the point lights in a line or whatever. I don't know how to, how to you you create that fakeness. Is that something you can come up with a technique to create lighting, and then you you go talk to the coders and like, I hey, would need this support, or is that mainly already there and you just use the existing tools? So if we're talking about just Unreal Engine at the moment, that is how I would kind of do it to begin with. Again, because the it's the tech will like is 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 developing, and again, but until there are new versions of Unreal and before you know before things do get to that point you have to kind of yeah you do have to fake it still like they're almost waiting for the next generation of stuff almost so that we can use what they use in film with the ray tracing and we can use a game with it because even now when you use ray tracing you have to do so much behind the scenes to even make that have a nice frame rate there's a reason why controls set in a big brutalist level it's all one and material and run on ps4 yep and properly. it's still <laughs> still hard to run like um so it's like 
yes, you can get coders to do certain things, but it's still a bit of a waiting game for of an overall generation of stuff, basically. Mm. So until then, you still have to use old techniques to try to supplement the new tech, basically. Mm-hmm. What references would you give? Like, I'm going to say a junior lighting artist rather than like an idiot like myself, but uh, or maybe an idiot like myself, like good references for them to say, like, hey, check out like the lighting in this game or like check out the lighting in this movie or I mean obviously I think has wide variety but what, what are your what are your go-to check this out kind of uh, references and why if we're going from like June is wanting to be to move into lighting I would say yes games are great for lighting but a lot of games take influence from film so I would say before you go looking at games, look at, yeah, like look at look at films, look at the old like L.A. Noir stuff, uh, look at the old like, yeah, the, the big, huge landscapes, vistas, of even like westerns, like this the kind John of Ford stuff. stuff the, right. the, all of this kind of stuff. Get a wide range of media and look at it. Don't just look at like a certain set thing. Even if you don't really like these films, just look at how they've kind of done them kind of thing. And again, not that we sponsor Shop Deck, but you can literally type in desert into Shop Deck and it will come up with hundreds of shots that that very famous films have used to light certain uh, scenes, basically. And then again, it's to do with, there's a psychological part to this as well. There's like what kind of colours bring emotion to people so yellow is i wanted to ask you about this yeah so yellow is madness red is rage uh blue is like um sort of sadness not always but but they are used heavily throughout film or subtly that kind of thing and even other things like uh I think it was like Schindler's List where the, the only colour in the whole film is the, is a girl in a red coat, basically. Um, they use this these techniques throughout film to to make human beings feel things. So, that, yeah, there's a psychology behind it as well mm-hmm. kind of thing. Does photography help with uh, learning about light? Yes, definitely. I love photography. So just that's something I do still as just a hobby. Even with like my phone, I love going out and just taking shots, annoying all my friends basically because I run off somewhere. <laughs> like where's she gone? <laughs> like I do that with, not with light, but um, when I walk over something and I see like something broken down or like moss coming out of the wall. Oh, look at the nice texture. Oh, take a picture. I won't do anything with it. I just like it because it's like oh, it's so it's so cool. I don't know. Yeah, the real world. So weird. yeah, cut to ten years later. When you're like look at my reference finally the reference of that broken mom I, I have to like yeah i just have like a folder of like it's called various so it has like things that i've taken pictures of that make no sense like of a wall of the ground just something i found some piece of junk like makes no sense just ooh, look reference for games <laughs> no i love it that's that does bring me back to like the real real world referencing there's nothing better than you know looking at things like I wanted a bit of a break from the computer the other day so I went for a walk down the seafront and and I just couldn't turn my head off I kept looking at the sea and then like this low-lying fog that was kind of mist was going over the sea I'm like I can't like I just want a break like from this stuff <laughs> I'm sorry you beautiful real life like yeah, can, can, can you just stop being subtle and lovely <laughs> Oh, look at this nice reflection of the sea. And you can't keep seeing stuff like that. You can't turn your brain off at one. Like, it's just... I remember seeing some story about some uh, a dad who found his child crying. And she, she was she was quite quite young. She'd just been to... She was at school. 
and he's asked her why she was crying and she said because because she just learned to read and now she has to read everything (laughs) (laughs) yeah now as soon as you can read you just can't stop you have to read everything that's put in front of you yeah yeah she was 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 the lighting artist she's like i've got to look at everything can't stop looking at light Can't look at everything. And I've done it. I've done it. Being cute just gives me PTSD. The lighting section. I can't look at them. Just get rid of them. I know all their lumens. Oh no. Uh, But but okay. So like uh, simplify. So like rather than trying to get into the industry, it's like if people are trying to start doing a bit of lighting, what would be like uh, do this or try not to do this in a big like. If I said over a pint, which I wish we could record this over a pint, saying like, all right what should I do and what should I look out for not to do in you know general lighting in game so there's a big thing even with like just sort of even drawing or concept art where like people go oh no I did this without a ref no ref no ref it's like no the use a ref it will help you so much basically in terms of being a better lighter being a better drawer being anything it if there's something you want to feel like just google it just again don't be afraid to google uh, a shot that you really like that you think the lighting looks really lovely and just try and copy it literally like mm-hmm. if it's got a sun in the shots start with the sun like position the sun to be like a sunset and then yeah just do a little bit of post just try and match it even if you fail massively you've you've started to to look at the referencing and and begin that process and that would be what i would say to start as and again, let, weirdly, less is sometimes, not always, not with like when certain things, but for games, less is more. So mm. start with as little lights as possible, get the main one and build off it. And if you can, if you can match that reference with four lights, you've nailed it. Like just. Okay, four lights, uh, Valentina, only four <laughs> lights. In, in four directional lights, like four right, yeah. suns. <laughs> right, like, it's something like, actually in Unreal that, uh, that's been... I was working on my laptop until recently, and it's been killing me. Uh, all the all this point lights, all this puzzle, everything just if it's not baked and I delete them, it just takes all my frame rate. Now that I'm working on a good PC, I don't even care how many lights I've got. But like, actually, if you want to play, have make a playable game, that light needs to you need to figure out how to make that light work, right? And that's that's gotta be so difficult. Yeah, that's why I think it comes down to the fact that find a big spotlight find a big like get the main one in there what's the one thing the player's going to look at first and then just sort of almost like detail off it basically and -hmm. it just makes lighting so much easier it's one of the best things Mm -hmm. i ever kind of learned in terms of lighting it stops you becoming massively overwhelmed as well because that is the main thing that they're going to look at find something even if it's like a big desk lamp or what's the main thing that someone's going to look at when they enter a room or be outside or that kind of stuff Ellen says this with a massive desk lamp right behind her. There it is. And the darkness. And the darkness. Yeah, look at that. Hey, yeah, that's, that's an amazing shot. Like the dark and the light. It's like, yeah. It's very scripted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not actually talking. It's that lamp that's talking. Like, yeah. It's like whispering. What a reveal. Oh my God. What a twist. Well, Ellen, it's been, I have to say, it, it's been enlightening talking to you in this episode thank you so much for coming on board that's great that's been thanks for having me and uh, hopefully we can br- bring you back 
and maybe get somebody else in the Chinese room because why the hell not? I mean, we've got, I mean, we're working our way to the staff. So, it's good time uh, from audio, you know, we'll yeah, offset exactly. this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. This has been very illuminating. Jonathan, now it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to say pun. Come on. Not doing it. I refuse. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not doing putting it. you on the spot. <laughs> well, puns been aside, super enlightening. <laughs> it's been amazing to have you on board. Uh, thank you very much. If you have, dear audience, if you have any questions, please tweet us or email us. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes. I don't know. Subscribe, like. I don't know. Do do what you want to smash do. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. And uh, don't smash your keyboard then. No. Just just your monitor. And on that note, thank you very much. And good night. Bye. 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 The Level Design Podcast has been a Command Studio production. Our editor is Matthew Lever, and this episode has been produced by Brian Rose.